As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Ben, and we are joined by our super producer, uh, Alex Williams, today. And today... I kind of just want to dive right into this. No, dive in. Well, okay. Um, I spent way too much time last night working on opening puns yeah. about how to break the ice. Oh. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, thought, well, I was going to try to work something, and I couldn't really think of how to do this either, because I was kind of thinking about it as well. Mm-hmm. Like icebreakers. Don't you think of an icebreaker as like what they do at a... It was like, corny meetings maybe at your office where uh-huh. they try to have everybody like get into small groups and then talk about their hobbies or something yeah. like that say your name and something interesting about yourself yeah that's an icebreaker but that's not the icebreaker that we're going to talk about today no no we're not talking about uh picking people up at clubs we're not talking about weird getting to know you work meetings isn't there a gum named icebreaker there is. also? There okay is. Well, we're not talking about that either no it's pretty good though is it <laughs> no candy Something like that. Okay. It's it's. How about the, the game? There's a game. Oh, don't break the ice. Don't break the ice. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, with the little hammers, and you'd yeah. have to knock out the cubes. That was a fun game. I played hours of that with my kid. That was a deep cut, Scott. It was fun. Well, although we have gone through several things that are different forms of icebreakers, today we are going to focus on the literal vessels known as icebreakers, and what's really interesting to both of us about this is many people are maybe aware these things exist, but are not aware of what a vital role they play in so many fields of trade. Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah, these are uh, purpose-built ships or vessels Mm -hmm. that are designed to just smash through the ice. You know, when the ice gets too thick, uh, the normal shipping channels are closed off because of thick ice. If there's any ice there at all, really, you need an icebreaker to come in and, uh, you know, clear the path for you. Right. And these uh, these chips, again, play a 
crucial role in making waterways safe for the multitudes of other boats and watercraft in general that go through these waters. And they are beasts. For something to be considered an icebreaker, it's going to have three things. A strengthened hole, an ice-clearing shape, which we can explore too, and most importantly, the power to push through the ice, which is no small feat. Yeah, and okay, that's. I know you just mentioned three things. I've got a couple of lists that we're going to get to as well that have, it seems like, 30 things. Uh, that, <laughs> yeah. uh, that, you know, 30 items, 30 key features that, um, well, a couple of different types of ships actually require, because there's a difference. There's ice-strengthened ships, and then there's ice-breakers. And there's a distinct difference between the two, yeah. and we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, but you might think, well, how really, how often is this necessary? There's a lot of countries that need um, these ships in order to keep their shipping channels open. It's, it's vital for trade, vital for, you know, their economy. So, you know, typically areas that are countries, I guess, that have interest in the northeast and the northwest passages in the Arctic and the shipping lanes they have to keep open during the winter months are the ones that are going to require the services of these uh, this this type of vessel. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not going to find them in the, you know, the equator region. You're not going to find them in the, you know, <laughs> and in most situations. Well, you're going to find them on the Great Lakes because they're necessary there. Uh-huh. Uh, you're going to find them. Uh, well, you know what? There's one that reached the the North Pole. Mm-hmm. An icebreaker reached the North Pole. That was because a Russian ship. Right. Um, got a note on that somewhere in here that I'll get to. But um, they're really they're they're far more fascinating than you might give them credit for. It's not just a boat that uh, drives into the ice and breaks it up. Yeah. It, it, there's way more to it than that. Um, so where do you want to start, Ben? Because we really haven't even uh, broken the ice on this episode. Oh yet. man! Okay, I think we each get one pass for that joke. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I think I used mine way too early. All right, let's see if we can make it through. So let's start with uh, some of the history because icebreakers weren't always around, but ice strengthened ships were. Oh, this is crazy! So you got to imagine back in the days of wooden ships in the in the age of sail yeah oh my gosh this, it's hard to believe when you look at a, a modern ice breaking ship as we'll get to we'll talk about you know all the features and and uh you know the functions of this thing and then you look back at what they were doing you know hundreds of years ago you know the earliest days of polar exploration you know these ice strengthened ships were used they were wooden ships yeah and so they had you know they would have of course um Kind of beefed up design, I guess. They would have steel that was wrapped around the water line, and they had double planking on the hull. They would have strengthening cross members inside the ship, and then bands of irons around the outside and along the keel. It was mm-hmm. like they were just these, um, just reinforced wooden ships that they, but still wooden ships that they're smashing through ice with. It's it's crazy to think about that. And one of the reasons that this reinforcement was so key, you know, in the age of sail and wooden boats is because of the possibility of something referred to as nipping. Nipping is a phenomenon where flows of ice around a ship end up pushing against it, so squeezing it, putting it in almost like a vice. And this is caused by wind and, of course, tides will still affect ice formations. Mm -hmm. The weird thing about this is although those forces, the wind and the tides, could be, you know, uh, the actual energy producing this effect could be occurring many miles away. Turns out ice is an excellent transmitter of that force. Yeah, you said it's like a vice, and they say that if, you know, a ship is caught in this situation, it can be lost within as, as you know, quickly as 15 minutes. Uh, mm-hmm. A ship can be completely crushed uh, by that pressure that's being exerted on the outside. So, you know, in the days of wooden ships, the older vessels could 
Uh, they could survive that type of thing, but they weren't nearly as good as the modern vessels are. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the modern ones are, are significantly stronger. Uh, so there are a lot of, um, tales of, you know, ships that were lost in the, in the Arctic. You know, you've probably seen or heard of some of those kind of crazy stories of, you know, like you'll find a vessel from hundreds of years ago that's kind of, it looks like it's not Fro- landlocked, but it's ice locked. Frozen in time. Yeah, frozen in time. And they find, you know, all the stuff that's, you know, that was on board, you know, the, uh, uh, whatever it's rum and barrels or something. I don't know. Maybe you, <laughs> right. know, you, you would hope it's treasure, but it's not treasure because they're just there to break the ice. Really, that was why they were there. Right. Um, but but it still makes for interesting photographs and interesting. Um, I guess can you call it an archaeological dig if it's in the ice? I guess archaeological site maybe maybe yeah I don't know. But I've heard of, I've heard stories of these things that you know they find these incredible ships that are stuck in the ice and you wonder. Mm-hmm. Well, how long has it been there, and how did that get there, really? That's the bigger question. And but, sometimes bodies. But now we know. Yeah, now we know. And so, with this ancient technology, there were other approaches to um, the the first widespread Arctic craft were actually these very light-covered kayaks. And they, you know, of course, they couldn't break the ice, but they were easy to pick up and carry across the ice. Yeah, long distance. Long distances. Uh, and as the technology behind... Uh, water vessels of the world improved, ice-breaking technology improved as well. So after the age of sail, when steamboats became a thing, they also had to be designed to operate in icy conditions, you mm-hmm. know, depending on where they were located. Yeah, so they had new propulsion, of course, and uh, and with that became or came advancements, I suppose, in the way that they were thinking about the hull of ships, too. Uh, they weren't taking wooden ships into the Arctic regions anymore. They were taking sometimes, you know, in, entire steel hull ships mm-hmm. uh and and even then they found new ways to develop and make that steel stronger so uh we'll talk about you know the the different techniques they use of the hull in just in just a moment but yeah. um you know propulsion was kind of an exciting thing for a while because uh you know the advancements to steam was huge right then they went on beyond that as well yeah yeah so uh one example of a steam powered ship that was i don't know if you call it an icebreaker but it was designed to to be ice strengthened probably the best way to say it, yeah. uh, was a wooden paddle steamer called City Ice Boat Number 1. Uh, and this was operating in Philadelphia. So it, it still had wooden paddles, but, you know, it had a 250-horsepower steam engines uh, that, that were, uh, the paddles were reinforced with iron covering. Oh, that's crazy to think about, isn't it? Like, it's a paddle boat icebreaker. That's really a strange, just a strange thought. If you've ever seen a paddle boat on maybe the Mississippi River or something right, like right. that, I grew up around those types of things, like, yeah. you know, taking weekend tours on those and on stuff. A yeah. yeah, on steam, on the paddle boats. Yeah. yeah, yeah on, the, cool. uh, on the rivers. Uh, it's fun, still fun. Um, yeah. But, you know, one thing that we haven't really mentioned is that um, we talked about icebreakers a little bit. We talked a little bit about ice strengthening, you know, mm-hmm. the, the strengthening was the wooden ones. Um, ships that don't have this type of technology built into them, if you want to call it technology, you know, the early days. I don't know if it's just trying to, you know, outsmart the ice, really. Yeah. Um, but if you, if a ship is not equipped to uh, to be an, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe if it's not a uh, a an ice-strengthened ship. Okay. Uh, they wouldn't dare touch ice. They wouldn't bump into ice. If they see ice in the in the way, yeah. they'll go around that ice or they'll stop and, and retreat. Um, they're not meant at all. To, to come in contact at all with ice, because uh, you, we've all seen the diagram of the iceberg, what's beneath, right? Right. Now, the, you only see the tip of the iceberg. That iceberg could outweigh the ship by, you know, you know tens of times. Yeah. And uh, and to try to push that, you know, it might rip a hole in the, in the hull very easily. So uh, anything that's not ice-strengthened 
won't even get near ice. They just they back off or they call somebody in. So anything that any ship that is in a, in a shipping lane that mm-hmm. has a possibility of coming across, even uh, like you know stuff that broke off of an ice flow, sure, uh, they will be ice strengthened in some way. Yes, and uh, of course this presents, as you can understand, a dilemma for a lot of Scandinavian countries, a lot of uh, countries in the upper edge, like Canada as well. Sure. Right. Uh, it presents a dilemma because you have to be able to trade, you have to be able to travel, um, but if you're in a part of the world where, let's say, things are frozen for six months out of the year, how can you continue to do business, you know? Yeah, that's true. I mean, if you're in these extreme north or southern latitudes, you're going to encounter ice in some in some fashion. Mm-hmm. So you have to be ready. They have to make these ships stronger, and that makes means that they're probably more expensive. Yeah, uh, to make them as well. So there's there's another dilemma, I guess. If you're going to operate, it's the cost of business or cost of operating mm-hmm. is going to be that much more for you. And so I I want to uh, walk us up real quick, or should I say, oh gosh, these ship puns are coming at me left and right. I'm doing my best, folks, <laughs> not to make them. But uh, let's let's go through uh, the the other predecessors of modern icebreakers. Spoiler alert. Russia is at the forefront of this technology and has been for a long time. And right now, even even in 2017 when we're recording this, not only is Russia still the leader, but they're probably going to be the leader for a long time unless something changes. The Russian pilot, that's the name of the ship in 1864, uh, that was a predecessor of modern icebreakers. It had a propeller. And they used it in one of those areas that we were talking about uh, where the where otherwise the icy waters are not navigable for part of the year. It was an area called the White Sea. Um, it was used between uh, 1864 to 1890 uh, on the Gulf of Finland. And just using this one ship, they were able to extend the summer navigation season by several weeks. See, there you go. Pays for itself in that, right? I mean, if mm-hmm. if they were having to, you know, shut off that channel completely, uh, imagine what they would have to do in order to get those goods or you know those uh, those items mm-hmm. uh, to where they have to go. Uh, it's it's just makes it makes really good economic sense to keep something like this around. I mean, I know it's expensive. These are expensive to build. They're expensive to run or to operate. Yeah, uh, they take a lot of fuel. It takes a ton, just so much fuel a day. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable they're amounts not, of fuel. They're not built for fuel economy. No, no, they're not. Um, but they are extremely strong. And uh, and it, again, it pays off to have something like this in your fleet if mm-hmm. you have an, a, a shipping channel that is going to be blocked by ice at some point during the year. Yeah, and Russia, of course, realized this. So in 1898, they built the what is considered the first modern polar icebreaker, and it was called the Yermak. Hmm. Pardon my pronunciation there. Uh, it was built by the Russian Navy, and when it was commissioned in October of 98, it took another year to build it, and in 1899, it broke through ice. They had the formal reception, you know, I imagine they, they christened it, and because this was now built by a Navy, it also uh, functioned in a military capacity. So it helped evacuate the Baltic fleet in World War One. It was mobilized in World War Two. I mean, this was around for a long time, Scott, and uh, armed with guns to yeah to provide force projection. Oh, no kidding! So it was a uh, well, it was actually an armed ship at some mm-hmm. point in mm-hmm. its history. And then it 
remains, I think, one of the longest serving icebreakers in the world. It wasn't decommissioned until 1964. Oh, wow. So like, uh, what, it's like 60 or 70 years, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't break it. Or don't fix it if it's not broken. <laughs> don't break it either. <laughs> I'm, the one slip, <laughs> I'm the one slipping on the idioms today. Uh, but this brings us to the age of the modern icebreaker, and it is fascinating. How fascinating, you ask? We can't wait to tell you after a word from our sponsor. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we have fun. But then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. And Ben, you were saying that we're going to kind of uh, uh, jump the gap here into the modern era of icebreakers, right? Yeah, man, we're here. The crevasse. <laughs> jump the crevasse. That's what I should have said. Jump the crevasse. Yeah. So 
Uh, How many ice terms do I even know? I don't know that many, but uh, I think uh, crevasse is a good one. Yeah, be cool. Okay. I'll back <laughs> it down a little bit. <laughs> I'm excited, Ben. Yeah. We're talking about diesel engines now. We're talking mm-hmm. about extreme horsepower. Some of these uh, some of these ships have, you know, three giant diesel engines that put out, you know, 25,000 horsepower each. So there's, you know, a combined total of 75,000. Then those are supplemented by, you know, three more engines that put mm-hmm. out, uh, you know, 18,000 horsepower each. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the incredible amounts of, uh, of of pushing power in these things. They have to in order to, you know, shove themselves through ice that's several feet thick. Yeah, like three meters. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Three meters of ice. Can you imagine trying to break that? And, and not just, you know, one little section. Yeah. I mean, like, break it for miles. Yeah, and uh, there's... Well, oh, before we go further, I, I forgot we should talk about the process by which these icebreakers break ice. This is one of the most fascinating parts of this whole thing because I had no idea. And I think you thought I was joking when I originally tried to explain it in a in a fairly inarticulate well, way. Can I can I tell you one thing yeah. or just mention one little thing before we get to this? Because I think it's crucial to know this before we talk about how they do it. They don't have like a knife edge front on them like you think they would. Right. It's more of a rounded front end. The hull is rounded to the front. So they're able to slip up on top of the ice a little bit easier. And the thing is, this makes it really uncomfortable to ride in in the open sea. I mean, they've got this weird shape hull. Yeah, it's sort of a spoon-shaped bow. Yeah, exactly. So when you're traveling in this in these uh, ships and it's not, you know, smashing through ice, the situation is that, you know, even in, uh, you know, a, like, what would you call it, a, a gentle sea, yeah. uh, this boat is really tossing and turning all over the place. It doesn't have any kind of stabilization fins or anything like mm-hmm. that on it. It's designed to be smooth on the bottom and, you know, relatively, uh, I guess it has a, I don't know what you call that. Like low friction, maybe? Yeah, that's probably a better way to say it than what I was going to say. I won't <laughs> even tell you what I was going to come up with, uh, something that would have sounded ridiculous. But um, so even in a light sea, yeah. Um, the thing just tosses and turns. It can it can really be a difficult ride for somebody um, because there are no you know it has these these rounded keels I guess and mm-hmm. really nothing that sticks out from the side to stabilize it in any way. Here is here is the great part, and this I know this is going to sound weird if you've never seen Icebreaker before. I think Scott thought I was joking when I first when I first tried to explain it mm-hmm. as I said before. Uh, the way that they break the ice, as, as Scott mentioned, they, they will slip up over it or try, attempt to. And then I guess the best way to describe it, and you've seen some videos too, Scott, I guess the best way to describe it is it kind of like, it like belly flops. It like goes up and then crashes down. Yeah. And up and crashes down. The motion, and I, I looked this up because we're not sailors. Right. So I looked right. this, I looked up what this is affecting and it's, it's affecting the trim of the boat. Now the trim of the boat is what it looks like from the side. Mm-hmm. So if the uh, if the bow is up, uh, you can imagine that like you know everybody can picture this when a boat takes off when it first launches, um, you know a speedboat, power boat. Uh, when you give it the gas, uh, the front end of the boat rises up and the back end kind of dips down as the engine you know spools up. Mm-hmm. And then as you gain speed on the on the you know the water on the surface, uh, the the bow kind of drops back down again and it and it uh, levels out. That's uh, that's the trim of the boat. It's either up the bow's up or it's down. I don't know if I'm using that term exactly the right way, but the trim of the boat is what's affected here. The the bow goes way way up in the air and it kind of does like a belly flop on the top of the ice. Mm-hmm. And so really the um, you know the engines at the back in the water you know, churning and, and doing all its work, and it's pushing the boat on top of the ice, and then it settles down, and then the weight of the boat itself is what actually smashes through the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not really, like, they're not busting up by just, like, uh, like imagine, like, 
punching a, a wall or a door or something like that. They're right. not breaking it that way. They're going on top of it, cracking it, and then and then maybe in some cases backing up and doing that again. Yeah, to get enough ramming speed to to go on top of it again. And they they continued this kind of like um, I don't know. It's a it's a seesaw motion, really, and mm-hmm. up up and then smash through and up and then smash through. And they just continually do that for miles and miles and miles. And they sometimes have to back up and get another run at it, you know, to get the full weight of the boat on top of the yeah. ice. But they carry this incredible weight with them. They're, they're, in fact, they're intentionally built heavy right. so, that, so they can do this. Yeah, because, again, remember that ice is often a ship killer. So one other point that we really need to emphasize here is this is not uh, by any means a bunch of amateurs just running into ice. Naval architects who design icebreakers make painstaking, excruciatingly thorough calculations because, you know, lives really are at stake. Uh, so they use this calculation called the HV curve uh, to determine the ice-breaking ability of a vessel. And that's an equation of what kind of speed is the ship able to achieve, the thickness of the ice, and then they calculate the velocity of the thrust from the propellers, just, just like Scott said. People have even performed model tests in an ice tank. You really? Know, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea, right? Yeah, would be like fun. Small-scale, actual icebreaker model, and <laughs> I don't know. That seems like a cool job. That would be cool. I, I like watching some of those miniatures that they do, you know, where they simulate uh, storms and things like that. And they have, a, you know, like a, a great big shallow tank that they have that imitate, uh, like, wave actions on the shoreline and things like that. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is really fascinating. So I can't imagine how cool a uh, one of those Frozen would be and, and watching them kind of do whatever they do with these icebreakers or ice strengthened ships right. uh, to test their their, um, their strength. Yeah, and, there's a, and of course not all icebreakers are created equally and not all use the exact same techniques. Some icebreakers have a hull that is wider in the bow than it is in the stern, and these are often called reamers. And the, the idea here is that they will make the biggest clear channel possible, right? With one pass, hopefully. And uh, icebreakers sometimes have auxiliary systems that are all about reducing that friction, such as uh, water deluges and air bubbling systems. And they try to form a a kind of layer of lubricant between the hull and the ice Hmm. so it can slide more on there and put that brutal weight down. So they don't, uh, like, like, uh, disembark. And then go out there with like a can of, uh, you know, what that, that cooking spray, Pam. Yeah. And like yeah. S- spray that on the side. Then like, <laughs> okay, go for it again. <laughs> they don't do that. It's a little bit more, uh, like low tech, I guess. Then. Yeah. A little low tech. Yeah. Cause oh. <laughs> carrying around all that Pam. Yeah. You know? I guess that'd be tough. Or maybe, uh, you know, what's that super lubricant that, uh, that Clark Griswold used on his sled, uh, in Christmas vacation? Oh, yeah. They what should is- use that. Yeah. You know what? You should be in charge of more icebreakers. I'm an idea guy, Ben. Again, <laughs> again I, I, I told you this several times. I, mean, I, I don't know how to implement any of this, but they should use that. I mean, because that clearly must be a real product. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, one quick thing while we're talking about this, yeah, the yeah. size of the ships and everything, and this is for real. I watched a, um, a YouTube video not long ago, a couple days ago, and it was a, a Russian ship. It was opening a channel. I don't remember exactly where this was, but there's a bridge that went across, and I believe that there was... Um, this is a strange one, Ben. There was uh, student housing on one side of the river. Okay. And there was the university, the campus, on the other side of the river. And there's a bridge. And there's this guy that operates an icebreaker. Uh, it was like a tugboat. It's a to- tugboat that has been strengthened to the point that it be- has become an icebreaker. Mm. It is heavy duty, but not enough for meters thick ice. It's it's good enough for, you know, maybe a couple of feet thick. 
Yeah. Maybe two or three feet. Um, so this guy, his job is to keep the uh, the channel open. And it, it's for shipping, of course. But one reason is that uh, it's dangerous for the students who try to cross the river at various times a day because it cuts like 15 minutes off their walk time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to go across the bridge. They, they sometimes will just walk across the river. And you'll see, if you catch this video online, I don't even remember what it was called, but you'll see groups of students that are crossing the river in front of him as he's approaching them with this icebreaker ship to break the channel. So you know that the area that he breaks regularly is thinner to begin with. Mm-hmm. And they're crossing that, and they're kind of defiant about it. They kind of like, uh, you know, give the guy... Uh, a couple of hand gestures, that kind of thing, you know, as he's, as he's approaching, because they know what he's doing. He's trying to make them take the safer yeah. route that's also longer. Uh, but it's it's really kind of fascinating to watch how angry the students are at the guy breaking the ice because he's trying to <laughs> and he's trying to keep them safe, right. but they don't see it that way. Of course not. They've made their own little uh, ice road that goes across from you know living quarters to campus. It's a strange thing. Oh, that's right. We have been kind of Arctic minded recently. I guess so. And right here, head of summer. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Maybe it's wishful thinking because yeah, too man, it's too hot. Atlanta summers. Yeah. Oh, so, anyways, boy. it's these videos. I tell you that you wouldn't think that ice breaking videos are fun to watch, but mm-hmm. if you fast forward through them, you can catch some really interesting stuff. Yeah, and you can also see some accounts of. Uh, I I want I almost want to save this for the end, but I'll just jump into it now. Okay. You can ride on an icebreaker. Really? You could buy uh buy a ticket. To ride on one of these things, you know, like meals included, take some time. Because remember when I was going through that cargo ship phase? Yeah. And it was, I was really trying to sell Scott hard on this stuff. I was like, hey, man, I could travel the Pacific Ocean via cargo ship, and all I need is, like, some flexibility in my arrival and departure time. And Scott was saying, well, what do you mean by flexibility? He's like, I don't know, like a month or two, (laughs) give or take, depending on the weather. It's a lot of flexibility. That's well, that's the thing, and then my immediate question or my immediate thought is, what do you do if one of these gets stuck in the ice? Because that happens. Sometimes these things get icebound, and they have to be rescued by other mm-hmm. other icebreaker ships. They have to send them out, and this is insane to think about, but you could be stuck for months at a time, right? completely icebound in some Arctic region that they only know how to get to you via the coordinates that you give them on the radio, mm-hmm. but you're stuck. I mean, you're really stuck, so... What would happen if you were uh, just a you know a tourist on something like this right. and you ended up stuck for two months? Oof. And there have been cases. I, I boy, I wish I had a note here. I, I meant to highlight this. I didn't. There was a case where I believe it was another Russian ship was stuck in the ice, and then I think a ship from Japan maybe had gone to to rescue that one. Also, becomes stuck in the ice, so they're now both stuck together up there. Mm-hmm. And they sh- sent out a ship from uh, the United States to come rescue those two. And then just as that third ship arrives, the other two somehow managed to, uh, you know, wrestle themselves free from the ice, and all three were able to get out and, you know, go on. But this took, you know, uh, over the course of, I don't know, I guess two months or something like that. I can't remember the exact time frame, but it was a long, long time between when one would get stuck, one would arrive, and then, mm-hmm. you know, on this chain of three until finally they all got out. It was crazy. Yeah, it it's kind of, it always makes me think of, have you ever seen a tow truck towing a tow truck? Yes. That's exactly what it yeah. reminds me of. Yeah, it doesn't happen too often, but it's kind of funny when you see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because everybody is hopefully fine. Uh, <laughs> there there are other there are other um, mechanisms that 
engineers and architects have built into these ships to try to prevent those from occurring. Uh, one would be double action ships. These have uh, rotating propellers mm-hmm. so they can provide backward thrust yeah. as well. Uh, and the idea would be uh, that if you have more, if you have more options for which direction to go into, you know, you can ram easier, but also maybe, maybe if you can't get out by going forward, you can get unstuck in reverse. Yeah, or sideways. Or I think sideways. Those, yeah. I think those pods. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like modern cruise ships. They have these pods that can spin 360 degrees, mm-hmm. and they're able to uh, maneuver in, in ways that you would never think. A, a, you know, a cruise ship can spin almost on its axis. It can spin just right in place. So if you're in a, a narrow channel, um, I experienced this in Alaska when I went on a cruise. They were in this really narrow fjord-type area, and uh, I thought, well, how are they ever going to turn? There must be a big area where they're going to turn around and go out because they're not going to try to back out of this area. Mm-hmm. Well, we ended up just going right into the middle of this uh, this, this deep area, and the, this essentially the boat just did a complete circle right there in place. Um, almost like a tank could do a circle, you know, that oh, way. Yeah, yeah. Like the, if you picture it that way, that's the easiest way to think of it. Like a tank can spin on, mm-hmm. on right the in place on its yeah. treads. Yeah. Just like that. And then we just headed out the normal way. I and mean, it was incredible to see it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't think it's that maneuverable, but they really are. So these pods and, you know, the new technology really helps in, um, you know, unsticking yourself from the ice. I mean, if you don't have enough PAM on hand. Yeah, it all goes back to the pan. Or Teflon spray or whatever. Or WD-40. Yeah. Just get out there and rub a little bit of, uh, like, wax paper on the hull. Yeah. Like, just really coat it. And uh, I'm sure that that's good for several, you know, several miles. Save your bacon grease. Yeah. <laughs> you always reuse it. Uh, that's right. Hey, you know, <laughs> okay, well, um, I got a couple more things I want to cover here, but I think maybe we need to take a word from our sponsor first. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. On Purpose's mission is to create impactful conversations to help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. You'll be laughing, crying, and have so many impactful takeaways after this interview. I had this, like, you know, homie lover friend for a long time. He's very disrespectful to me, very kind of messed up to me. But in my mind, we could get married. We had the most beautiful babies. He handsome. I'm pretty. Like, it would be so cool. He's smart and intellectual. I'm kind of smart, I think. Like, it would be fun. We have the best conversations. Like, we 
we have fun, but then he would treat me like crap. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We have returned to uh, what will probably be one of my, my favorite parts of this episode. So we talked about the evolution of, you know, uh, from, from the ancient days of kayaks that would just be carried across the ocean to steam power, diesel. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end of the story. We are in a new era, my friends. Let's, uh, we talked a little bit about the fuel, but I, I want to enter this by putting in this comparison. Okay. So on average, an ice breaking vessel working in, let's say Russia, right? And if it's busting through, uh, three meter thick ice, it would use up to a hundred tons of fuel a day. A day. A day. One hundred. One hundred tons of fuel a day. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And oh, and these things are out for months at a time. Yeah. Okay. Thirsty beast. All right. Uh, but, so so that's a problem, right? Just yeah. even thinking about carrying all that fuel, thinking about supply chains, thinking about what happens if you get stranded. Sure, and you become lighter as you travel. And you become lighter as you travel. That's a very good point. This is where the next step in technology came in. Nuclear power. Ah, no need to refuel. Yeah. Well, a, for long periods of time. Right. Uh, so in that same scenario where we're talking 100 tons of conventional fuel, uh, less than a pound of uranium uh, can provide the same bang for the buck. Less than a pound per day. Yeah, but it's uranium. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> there's that. Well, yeah, it's a little tough to get, I guess. I mean, last time I tried to get uranium, it wasn't so easy. I just feel like you shouldn't have done it on Twitter, man. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like yeah. a handwritten letter yeah. to uh, MIT or something will work much better. <laughs> oh, man, this is uh, like, what do they call it? The dark web stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But so that's a that's a tremendous uh, um, advancement to be able to carry uh, one pound of uranium versus a hundred tons of fuel per day. Right. And this uh, a lot of the a lot of the icebreakers that you can take a, a tourist trip on are nuclear powered icebreakers. Ah, and I bet they keep you out of that room. Uh, just a, just a guess. Just yeah. I don't think you get. I don't think that's your best path to uranium. I do want to be realistic, though, although this does seem like a very exciting idea to me. It's got a pretty hefty price for a three-week icebreaker cruise. Really? Ready? Well, yeah, I'm ready. 25 large. 25? uh, Okay, what does large mean to you? Because to me, 
grand. No, twenty five thousand dollars. Twenty five thousand dollars, really? So what does large mean to you in this? This is a hundred bucks is large to me. Yeah. I mean <laughs> small fry. <laughs> oh, small fry amongst the big fish, huh? But, I, I don't know. Twenty five large could be twenty five bucks sometimes. Yeah, that's so true. twenty well, twenty five thousand dollars to ride lot. on on a an icebreaker, an authentic real icebreaker. I wonder if they expect you to actually be part of the crew if you have to do work. Man, for twenty five thousand dollars, I think you should be able to do almost whatever you want. Pilot the ship. Right? Maybe. Become captain for that price. You are, you're a very persuasive, affable dude, so you might be able to talk him into letting you, you know, hop I would, on the wheel. You know, I would think that for $25,000, at some point during that cruise, if you can call it a cruise, I don't know what you'd call it, really, mm-hmm. a journey, excursion, whatever, uh, that you would at some point be able to grab the wheel and, and, uh, do a little ice break in yourself. I would hope so. I, you know, I, I would imagine you could get on deck. You could like visit the deck. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think somebody who has like spent their life becoming an expert in icebreakers is gonna, is gonna let me hop on. You know, you reminded me of something What's and that? I only have a vague memory of this. So, and I should know more about this. My, okay. my dad's been on an icebreaker before. That's right. You yeah. mentioned that off air. He, he did. He, uh, you know, I, I wrote down a couple of quick notes because, um, I, I was thinking about it just before this and I'm, I'm glad this came up because there's a, uh, a U.S. Coast Guard Icebreaker, and the name of it, I think, was I think it was the uh, the Mackinac, mm-hmm. um, the Icebreaker Mackinac, and it operated in the Great Lakes. And they decommissioned this boat back in 2006. And my dad was part of the uh, part of a video crew that went along to document that final journey, the final cruise. Wow! On this icebreaker, and this thing had been around for like 62 years in the Great Lakes, smashing ice uh, every year. And you know, up in the uh, the northern climate, the northern regions there. And uh, now its part is right in uh, Mackinac City, Michigan, and they actually turned the vessel itself into a maritime museum. So oh, you can wow, go that's on, cool. You can go on board the icebreaker, and they I think they'll show the – I think it was kind of like a documentary that they created. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll show that on board, and you can buy a copy of it if you want. But um, anyways, it was a, kind of an, an interesting thing. He had a lot of stories from that, I remember, back in, in that era, that time. Uh, but again, that was 11 years ago, so – I have to refresh my memory as to what really happened and, and all the information about it. But it was, again, the Icebreaker Mackinac. Mm-hmm. And uh, and check it out. It's a cool-looking ship. It's, it's exactly everything that we're talking about today. I don't think it had nuclear power, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but that is a, a really cool twist on the whole thing, that they've now gone to this different power source and yeah. able to take longer excursions with less uh, less fuel consumed. So let's go ahead and talk about the the last word or the the latest word in operating icebreakers the okay. world's largest nuclear powered icebreaker Whoa. is uh it's it's also russian uh of course it is this is going to sound like a weird name but that's just cuz it's in russian it's the 50 let pobody okay this is so weird it does sound weird the 50 let pobody uh-huh and i i'm probably butchering that pronunciation but it translates to 50 years of victory or 50th anniversary of oh, victory okay so it's, it. it's a really cool prestigious name yeah uh it is enormous it was made in 1989 they started work on it it was launched in 93 uh it has a crew of 140 people as a capacity of 128 passengers so Ooh. this thing has hundreds of people on it it has a just under 26,000 displacement tons 25,800 i think to be exact and i want to hop aboard it so bad but 25 
$28,000 is a lot of money. Did you say 128 passengers at $25,000 a piece? That's crazy. That's a, that's a huge amount of money if they're, if they're charging that amount for that, that particular cruise mm-hmm. or that ship. And besides that, I mean, what did they get? 260 people on board? Yeah. How yeah. big, how big is this thing? What was the length of this? It is 523 feet. Oh, and seven inches. Wow. Okay. So it's about half the size of a, a typical cruise ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because these, these ships, although they can be very, very large, they're still going to be relatively small. Um, in comparison to like other ships of with that much power. Well, they're smaller, but probably much heavier than even the, the ones that are double yeah, yeah, the size. Yeah. I mean, they could carry that extra weight uh, intentionally, right? To, to smash through when they do that belly flop maneuver. But can you imagine, you know, okay, these 128 people that are on board, I'm just trying to think of the passengers that would be on this. And when they're in open, smooth water, uh-huh. man, that thing is going to be rocking all over the place. I wonder if people don't anticipate that, you know, if they're not ready for something like that. Because, you know, the cruise ships, they're all stabilized and they've got, you know, the, the deeper keels, the sharp keels. Right. Um, they ride through the water a lot smoother than would an icebreaker when it's not on ice. When they're on ice, there's nothing better. But when they're in open water, ooh, that's got to be rough, especially if you hit a storm. Yeah, ugh. absolutely. And the thing is, I've always, I've always wanted to travel on one of those, but maybe I'll just go up to Mackinac and take a tour of the one that you mentioned. <laughs> just just while it's on the dock there? Yeah, well, the uh, the admission is surely less for that. I would think it's less than $25,000. I'm going to go out on a limb <laughs> and just say that it's less than twenty five k. So these, we've mentioned that these play a, a vital role in trade. Uh, we should also mention that they play an incredibly important role in research at the poles, mm-hmm. in supplying... Uh, research stations in Antarctica, uh, and in conducting uh, scientific work in the depths of the ocean or just getting researchers out to that very, very remote part of the world. Yeah, and I don't have, uh, I can't find that note, darn it, but, uh, <laughs> but so, it was sometime in the 1970s, I believe, that a Russian uh, icebreaker was the one to make it to the North Pole first. So, uh, so again, that's right there, groundbreaking, uh, icebreaking. Hey, ah, there we go. Yeah. I think that's the first one we did that worked. <laughs> and I say that because uh, I was the right. one who was uh, who was dropping the bricks today. Ben, before we run, I know you've got one more thing you want to share, but I've got one more thing I want to share as well. All right. If you go to a site called coolantarctica.com, there is a uh, an article. There's a lot of articles there about ice breaking and the ships and the technology and everything. But there's an article there that talks about the difference between icebreakers and ice-strengthened ships in the Arctic and Antarctic regions, uh-huh. and they have two uh, just incredible lists of the differences, the characteristics of each ship, and uh, you'll find some real eye-openers on that list. I mean, mm-hmm. things that we just didn't get to cover today, but, um, you know, like things about the, the friction and the contact regions of, you know, the, the hull, uh, right. how they treat the different areas, the, the strengthening of those areas, the, the way that the hull's constructed, uh, the extra weight that they carry. Um, there's just some really good lists there, and I don't want our listeners to uh, to go away without, you know, Knowing that there's that resource available if they want to learn more about them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed that article too, which you had you had originally hit me to off air. We would like to end today's episode on a note toward the future, as well as some questions for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the continual trend over the course of this episode, our brief overview of the history of icebreakers, the trend has always been toward. Um, toward new 
approaches in technology, but also toward new approaches for application or, or use of icebreakers, mm. which I, I know is kind of a gobbledygook way to, to say that. Um, the future of icebreakers seems pretty clearly uh, nuclear right now, uh, but the future uses of icebreakers may become increasingly military-oriented. Oh, that's cool. So military uses are going to be the uh, the new thing. I thought you were going to say flying icebreakers because everybody <laughs> wants flying cars. So if there were flying icebreakers, but you know what? That would kind of discount it when, then, wouldn't it? It would be just like, well, you fly the stuff in a plane. Yeah, what would they do? Just drop? You don't even need ships then, right? Yeah. No. Okay, no. that's a terrible idea. Well, there, you know what? I like that we're brainstorming. And we're there, maybe not all of them are going to be uh, yeah. a home run. Well, maybe none of them are going to be a home run. That's kind of a strikeout there. I think. Well, okay, okay, okay. Um, this is okay. This is so unrelated, but I think this is a cool idea. Okay. Uh, me and some of the guys were hanging out after work, um, and Alex and I and some of our friends actually came up with what I think is a million dollar idea that is completely unrelated to icebreakers. Do you want to hear it real quick? Uh, well, if you're giving away a million dollar idea, I'll take it. Okay. So you know steak fries, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you're a fan? Oh, of course. Oh man, I'm just I'm not into steak fries. They're like mashed potatoes mm-hmm. that are in disguise. Mm-hmm. But, but what if, Scott? What if you stuffed them like a hot pocket? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then Alex had the idea of what if we reverse the old uh, steak and fries or palm frites kind of dish? Yeah. And somehow put the steak inside the fries. All in one bite. I don't know. You know, we're at the Wild West of this. This is early days. Man. Anything's possible. Yeah. What an incredible idea. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, see, here's see, this is the thing. That's, that's a good idea. That's a great idea. But how do you go about applying this? How do you go about making this happen? Because that's, um, that's where it always guy. falls apart, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, wait. We can't have two idea guys because then nothing will get done. Oh, man. Okay. We need to pick up a, a details person. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, right, part by non sequitur. That's right. We're talking about military applications. <laughs> yes, we are actually. T- let me get back to the topic we're supposed to be talking wow. about. Recently, especially in the U.S. military, um, officials have been considering the possibility of arming icebreakers with cruise missiles. Hmm. So, for instance, uh, the Coast Guard specifically could arm a could militarize or weaponize an icebreaker because they're working to uh, procure a new one. Um, And on May 3rd of this year, this recently, uh, the commander of the Coast Guard said that they anticipate Russia is going to launch two icebreakers with cruise missiles over the next few years. And the U.S. Navy doesn't have anything to uh, counteract that Mm -hmm. or to negate it. So they've started really seriously looking at what a military icebreaker fleet would look like. And that's kind of weird when you think about it because we just spent so much time exploring how awkward these things are on the open sea, you know? Yeah. So I'm wondering how it would work. And I'm also wondering for anybody out out here who has experience with icebreakers, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on what a militarized icebreaker would look like, you know, and and how useful would it be? 
Yeah, I wonder what the application or how they would do that, how they would, um, you know, create a, a vehicle that could be stable or a vessel that could be stable in mm-hmm. open water and then also still be, you know, that purpose-built ice-breaking machine. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see their ideas. The military's always got great ideas. So. Right. A lot of uh, a lot of technological advancements come from uh, military research. Yeah, I love seeing the prototypes that they come up with. You know, like oh, they, man, they, like, yeah. the, like DARPA's stuff. You know, that always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And this, the role of icebreakers is set to become increasingly important over the next few years as. Uh, more and more countries with territorial claims to areas of the of the North Pole region uh, start to actively explore or use those as trade routes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So these are not historical oddities, right? This technology is going to continue to evolve, and if you ever get a chance to hop on one, please send me some pictures. I am so curious. Yeah, and if you can do it for less than $25,000. We could also, yeah, if you have like a coupon or something, yeah. we'd like to hear about that. <laughs> or a friend, you know, like, uh, or you, you, um, maybe you're a photojournalist. Yeah. And you get your way on board, you know, using that as a, as a way on, on the ship. Um, that'd be really cool if, you know, you could, you could come out somehow, um, you know, sway the captain, like, I, hey, I, I think I'd like to do a documentary on this, like, kind of like what my, my dad did with, uh, yeah. with that video crew. Um, but they, there was something that they had planned ahead of time, you know, it wasn't something like they were trying to weasel their way onto this last ship or any last ride. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still would be a cool thing to do. Um, I don't know if, about, like, just being a tourist on one, though. I don't think that's really for me. I don't think I would uh, do too well on an ice-breaking ship. You wouldn't, like, work on your novel or something? I, you know what? That would be nice <laughs> to have the time, I guess, but, it, man, that's going to be a rough ride. I mean, the boat's going to be continually, like, belly-flopping on top of the ice and then breaking through. <laughs> I mean, there's no rest to be had when that's happening, of course. I mean, and I think you'd want to be out watching it, but how much of that can you really stand? How much can you deal with? I mean, is it is it, you know, a week? Is it a month? Because um, I don't think these are short cruises. We're not talking about like a three-day pleasure cruise, no, right? No, it's a oh. long, it's a long thing to break up an ice shipping channel. There's one way to find out. <laughs> just, just do it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so write to us. Let us know. We hope you enjoyed this uh, exploration of one of the most important and perhaps uh, least well-known types of vessels out there on the ocean. Uh, Again, we are not sailors. Uh, To my knowledge, we have not served in the Navy. (laughs) Clearly not. Uh, So write to us and let us know about your time aboard Icebreakers and if there are any little-known fun facts or trivia that you think would also interest your fellow listeners. Uh, You can check out every podcast Scott and I have ever done in Oh, buddy, there are a lot on our website, carstuffshow.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. And most importantly, if you have a suggestion for a topic you would like us to cover in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Write to us directly at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Run! 
Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. This week, I talked to Tiffany Haddish in a hilarious, deep, thoughtful interview where we dive into family trauma, grief, sobriety, love, and dating. I got a big heart, and I'm very forgiving, but, like, don't abuse it. It's been abused enough. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss this one. 